AI in Action is brought to you by Aulis International, covering your business's staffing, consulting, and networking needs. Our host brings you the leading minds in AI, sharing their story, their success, and their advice. Focusing on fast-tracking you to the top, AI in Action cuts through the hype to help you kickstart your data science career. To listen to the latest AI in Action podcast, head over to www.aldus.com forward slash podcast, or subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. Hi, and welcome to the AI in Action podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Kelly. Uh, today, I'm delighted to have Dat Tran on the show. Um, a lot of people listening will already know who Dat Tran is. He is the head of data science at Axel Springer. Uh, previous to this, he worked in Idalo, where he built a data science and analytics team from zero to six people in about nine months. Uh, some fascinating work. Dat, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. No, look, it's my pleasure to have yeah. you. Um, so, I suppose, tell us a little bit about, about you. Like, you yourself, you've got an amazing profile on, on social media. You're, you're like, everyone I meet knows who that Tran is. Like, how, how have you developed this personal brand? Mm. Uh, first of all, uh, I'm not the head of data science at Axel Springer, but the head of AI at Axel Springer. <laughs> I'll get that, I'll get that, I'll get that put in. Yeah, data science is uh, very old, you know, it's AI, no, no, kidding, <laughs> just kidding. Um, in terms of your question, like my personal brand, uh, I started it with that uh, at Idealo, right? Um, because uh, before I used to work for Axel Springer, I, I used to work for one of the other companies, so Idealo, which is one of the largest price comparison website uh, in, in, in Europe, but also in Germany, especially. Um, and um, when I started my job there, I, you know, I had the I had the kind of the task, okay, to grow up a team, but also you know, oh, not only the machine learning team, but like you know, uh, co-heading the whole data team. But there, I had the had something in my mind like, okay, how do I do this, right? Because uh, hiring is a is very competitive, especially here in Berlin. You know, we have so many tech companies here. Google is here, Amazon is here, Zalando. Uh, how do you do it? And I was thinking, hmm, okay, so I need to kind of, you know, build a personal brand, you know, just to, to see, okay, hey, and attract people at the end of the day, right, for, for the role at the end of the day. And um, yeah, I, somehow, you know, I, I started to write blog posts, uh, but also like, you know, normal posts on LinkedIn, but also just on Twitter, but people, before that, also people knew me from my Medium posts, right? So, um, and then over the time, you know, people liked what they read, right? So, and they started from there. <laughs> Just grew wheels. And what made you decide on a career in AI and data science? It was not really straightforward. During my undergraduates, uh, I used to, you know, like to, hey, yeah, cool, I have to go into investment banking. And uh, I've been there, so I've been to it's pretty different. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to to many to many uh, uh, different to like big banks, right? Like Deutsche Bank, but also Jefferies. I've uh, been in a, like a cool markets, like in trade floor, but also in M and A, so merchant acquisition. Um, you know, but it, like I did a lot of internships, and um, after that, I realized I just don't want to do that. It's like a lot of mucky business, a lot of things that uh, I don't want to do, and uh, and then I, I I you know decided okay I'm just gonna study again, and I was really kind of like lost, 
you know, like, okay, what do you do? So <laughs> you have to do something, or you know, maybe you you go in a, you go into a consultancy like McKinsey or BCG. Uh, but then I, you know, doing some doing workshop there, meeting the people. I was also like, hmm, okay, is this something that you want to do for the rest of your life, or uh, something else? And then now, but there are also other stuff, you know, trying to co-found some startups. I mean, we're in Berlin, right? Everyone yeah. <laughs> wants to create a startup here. Um, but then also didn't really work out because um, I didn't really find good co-founders who really, you know, had the passion basically to, to stick around, right? Um, but yeah, but during, after, like during my graduate studies, I majored in operation research, which is like kind of uh, applied mathematics and um, it involves a lot of um, optimization problems already. And, and then I had a friend, he majored in statistics and he told me, Wow, I just did this amazing course by engineer, you know, look it up, you know, it's a machine learning course, so try it out. And, I, and then I just fell in love with this area, right? So, and then after that, I, I tried to read anything that I just grabbed, right? Any book that I had, any article that I had, any paper that I, you know, just, just found out. So, um, and I learned everything by myself at the end of the day. What I, want, what I really wanted to understand from you as well and really get an idea is, that when you joined Idalo, you were very successful in creating a team, creating a roadmap. Uh, not that you hadn't got previous experience in doing it, mm. and a lot of people don't uh, when they're doing it. You know, how how did you define or set up a data science team and strategy to go? Yeah, I think this will be successful mm. because there's so many ways you can get it wrong. Yeah. I mean, strategy is, is, is it's, it's, it's very difficult at the end of the day, right? Um, strategy is something that you have to try out. I mean, if you organize a, a data science team, um, you can organize it in, in many different ways, whether it's a centralized team, whether it's decentralized, right, or like a mix of both of them. <clears throat> um, for myself, mm, I would say I try, there was no like, holy grail, you know, do the central team and you'll be successful, or do the decentralized team, then you'll be successful, right? Uh, I was just thinking, um, since it's a new team, it makes sense to centralize it first, right? Because uh, at the end of the day, um, if you are decentralized, uh, um, you're working rather in the product teams, right? Or in the, in the teams itself. And the problem is, um, how do you find a balance that they stick around, they learn from each other and have a certain culture? And this is the thing, culture is the most important aspect here, right? So if you, if you create a central team and uh, get this culture right, uh, in the future you can progress to be a more decentralized uh, like um, data science or machine learning, what you call it, right? Um, and then people uh, like adopt what actually, what are you supposed to do in this area, right? And um, this, that was my plan. It was not like, you know, you're gonna take the central team and then it's gonna work out, but just try it out. And um, at the end of the day, my plan kind of also worked out pretty well because uh, the team uh, created a lot of buzz in a way that, you know, we put a lot of things in production. Uh, we had a real impact on the business at the end of the day. Um, and, and then if you kind of achieve this, right, um, there's no, there's not a problem of like have a central team. But then over the time, we also realize uh, you cannot scale this way. If you have a, you know, if you have a central team, you're only as much as you are, right? So in order to scale, um, we had kind of this uh, data, data science advocates or software engineers who wants to become data scientists. 
and um, we had a couple of teams um, like the travel team but also a team that we call product discovery there which um, we're doing most of the stuff on the front end side uh, we had some engineers who converted to become data scientists and uh, but of course they're not like the core data scientists who still you know take the research uh, and like the most recent research and um, put it in production but they are like you know good at maintaining it but also advocating us and also uh, like using what we are building at the end of the day that that's a very good point and it's 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 a culture point sure. and you mentioned it but like there's again there's so many companies who are coming in saying yeah let's jump on the the AI data science bus everyone else is doing it we're falling behind I'm gonna hire three data scientists and we're just gonna have a product um, but there's obviously issues the data scientists they go to university they come from other businesses where they don't work with product teams they're not used to it so they're not gonna have a culture what steps did you take to, to ensure you we're gonna have a, a product and data science collaborative culture and obviously it worked because you had software engineers want to get into the data science team mm. obviously because they're like oh these guys are the these guys are the team that I want to work for they're making the biggest the biz, biggest impact on the business yeah like for your first question like uh, how companies can start uh, with data science I think it's a chicken and egg problem right so you need uh, a very good person at the start who defined uh, what is culture and how do you want to go and uh, what is a good like balance of team and who uh, skill what skills you actually need um, but that person to find is very difficult because yeah. we don't grow on trees at the end of the day um, in terms of uh, how I do is is um, I'm a big fan of the balance team concept so this is something that I um, experienced during my time at Pivotal Labs already so where we had like different roles like some engineers uh, product designer product managers, data scientists, maybe also data engineers, uh, and whatever, whichever, whichever role that is actually um, necessary basically to, to create um, such an environment, right? And um, basically, um, you know, um, for me, whenever when I do something and whenever I thought uh, that was important, um, I always considering that, you know, you need different roles to do something. And most of the, the companies, what they do is, they um, create isolated teams, right? So I've seen a lot of big corporations, they hire one or two data scientists, three data scientists, they put them in a corner, right? And like in an R&D team, and then they're like, okay, wow, now you have to do something. But the problem is uh, you can't do something if you don't really impact the, the product, if you don't really impact the business at the end of the day, right? So you need to understand it, you need to bridge the gap and not like have them isolated in some uh, corner. Now, I think, yeah, there's a lot of cross-learning that data scientists need to learn off the product guys because they need to really understand how the product is, is going to essentially be used. Um, there's a lot of times where like, it's, the product's not always used in the most rational way. Humans can do any sort of any sort of action that you're not designing the product to be used by. But as a technical person, you might just build it to be fit for its purpose. This is what it's going to do. This is what we want it to do. This is what, the way we want it to be used. It's not always going to be used that way. So cross-collaboration teams are, are really good for that. Did you ever experience, you know, getting data scientists and data engineers, data analysts and cross-collaboration teams, or even like DevOps guys, and have them kind of, you know, teach each other little skills so that if it's a case, a data scientist isn't waiting, he doesn't have to, you know, write a ticket for his code or his algorithm to be, to be brought into production, and he's sitting around waiting for two or three hours for someone to push along through Git, 
um, he can become a lot more autonomous in his role then if he's if he's picking up skills from everyone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. So this is something that uh, we did at Idiot as well. Uh, what we did is like in every project that we do, uh, we do pair programming. Uh, I'm not quite sure if you're uh, aware of the concept, but literally, basically, is um, you have you know you have two monitor screens, uh, you have two keyboards, two mouses, right? And then uh, people are working alongside each other in a way, right? And then uh, on a certain project, um, people like a data engineer sits next to the data scientist, right? They they work with each other they, to try to solve the same problem. And and then you know the data scientist might have a different way of thinking, a different way of solving the problem. And then the data engineer also, you know, he's more fo focused on okay, how do I uh, take the data from A to B, or or how can I automate this stuff? And the data scientists uh, pick up this stuff, right? Like, how can I automate this stuff as well in the future? And the data engineer also sees what the data scientist does in the way, right? So that ah, okay, uh, he's solving the problem in a certain way. The flow is different, right? Because the data scientist. He what he mostly care about is like okay this is data I need to understand the data I need to build a model on that and then I need to validate it right so it's always a different concept there okay okay and in this like how does that impact in terms of scale does that allow your team to scale easier or do you face any challenges with scale in this model no I think that that was the better way of scaling at the end of the day of course it's it's slower so right so. You're not like uh, like uh, training people at the end of the day, right? Where you basically uh, like you know send them to a training program and then you know they sit there in the classrooms and then they learn about this. But it's more about like uh, you learn on the job, right? So so literally you have uh, like like um, like for example the software engineer, the software engineer advocate who turns into a data scientist, right? What we did is like he sat with us for for a couple of uh, weeks, right, in our project. And then uh, what they did is then basically um, learned about the way how we work, right? And then he's going back to his area, right? And he, he kind of brings in, you know, the skill set as well and a different way of thinking. And that's quite good. Cool. And so looking back at the, the strategy and kind of like the roadmap that you'd outlined that you're doing in Idalo, did you do anything differently uh, when you were retaking the task again at Axel Springer? Well, I mean, this is a is a it's a different role, right? So Yalo yeah. is is a it's a product company. So I know I'm part uh, of Vesprima, um, uh, but also in, in, in particular Vesprima uh, is engineering, which is um, like the innovation unit, I call it for for Springer. and uh, we are kind of helping everyone in in, in, in the unit. So we're not really we don't really have a like a one product, right? That basically okay, you're gonna help this product, but uh, we have 160 companies that we can help, you know, and this is this is a different strategy in the way that um, we're not having one roadmap that uh, you know you go everywhere, but it's more about like um, trying to abstract away things that might help uh, one unit, but also another unit. So there are, for example, things for example at Idealo that we build like the image aesthetic, uh, right, classifier. So where we basically order the images uh, according to um, their aesthetic. The thing is, um, this is a this is a a classifier that you literally can also use for another unit, which is called Immovet or Immunet, right? So we are also in a, a big area of classifieds, right? Um, and then you can take the same thing. And this is the strategy is different. So I I, I don't think that I can compare what I did at Yalu to here. It's just two different. Yeah. Okay. And so 160 companies, I imagine they're all 
at you they all want they all want a piece of the innovation team help us with this help us with that problem how are you is prioritizing what 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 it becomes a project well i mean uh, not everyone is, is coming to us at the end of the day right so that's that's uh, that's a little bit easier um the second thing is um i would say it, it like there's a lot of requests that that uh, is kind of difficult right because it's like okay can you please uh, help us uh, uh, automate this and that or can you you know predict uh, churn or uh, customer lifetime value this is something that probably um, we want to only help like in terms of like um, being an advisor role like okay this is kind of technology you need or, or Idealo did it already right uh, can we uh, no, you know not talk to the people because at the end of the day um, in, in a such big corporation most of the time for this kind of topics it's it's a lot of communication right because some companies did this already it's not like you know you need someone else to do it redo it again because uh, some other company did it you know if you're talking about churn or customer lifetime value or or recommendation engine there's many companies within our group who already done it before right so you don't really need to to reinvent the wheel at the end of the day right um but then there are also uh, interesting i would say uh, requests right so for example how do you translate uh, one article to another article right um but then in a very journalistic form, right? So how much data do you need uh, to do it? Or can you, for example, generate headlines out of this, right? So this is also very interesting. And this is like more like state-of-the-art applied uh, machine learning. And this is something where we say the priority comes to how can we like, you know, take one thing that is like very innovative, but then also help a lot of our units, like all together. So not only one. Okay, I kind of that was good. That's a good way to, to lead me into what was my next question, and it was, how are you doing? Uh, how are you using applied data science, applied machine learning, to impact your customers? Now you can use an example of how you'd be using it in Adalo because you were a mm. product company, but your customers in your current role mm. are internal ones. If it was an internal project, yeah. I mean, it always depends on the on the uh, the business value, right? Where if you look at the if you look at, for example, at the site, what you have, you have the revenue side and you have the cost side, right? So machine learning can affect uh, one of the both sides or both sides together. But most of the time, I would say, um, most of the stuff that machine learning really helps is the cost side. So uh, it's about automation, right? So machine learning can help when you, for example, let's say when Idealo, when we built this image classifier, we had 300 million images, right? So you cannot, take one human, right, and, and have them sit down for a couple of months and then you just do it. So it's, it's like, it's painful at the end of the day, right? Very but painful. It's very, very <laughs> painful. And there, there, are other, there are other things there. So for example, categorization of images, uh, but also for other un units that we have here. So we are, we are very big in the media space. Uh, we have a lot of uh, news articles in NLP. So you cannot just have one sit there and then, you know, do some name entity recognition, right, with some human. So you need a machine that uh, that is basically doing this task for you. So this is like the cost side, right? Um, and then on the revenue side, there are also examples that that we helped, uh, for example, Idealo to to achieve something. Uh, I, for example, I helped Idealo on on a brand project where in my first year we 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 achieved one million euro additional money, which is quite good, right? Yeah. Um, and that was only not because of like you know machine learning. It's just only part of it. So I think there was a combination of like uh, setting up the right uh, automation, so the ETL tools, right? 
uh, with additional like you know small machine learning pieces features right that basically segment customers well but also you know uh, give them a new way of basically um, like communicating to the customers right okay and um, so the you gave the example there when you took the image classifier from Adalo and you were looking to implement that into other Axel Springer businesses what's that task like is it challenging to try and integrate in Idalo purpose-built technology into a different mm. business? Well, I mean, um, I already understood that idea that um, you're not going to build this something that uh, is working well for Idalo, yeah. like not only one Idalo's team, because if you if you build software this way, it's not really good, right? So uh, software needs to be abstract in a way. If you're going to build something that is very special, uh, you're going to, for my experience end up as a like a, as a very big monolith in the future right <laughs> and that no one want to take care of and you know it's very difficult so I re I'm a big fan of like building things that is abstract but also uh, modular so that means you know you can take one piece another piece and then you stick it together right or you do something that works well on other areas which means for example even when you think at Ideato it's like a lower scale of like a big corporation for any other group level right so let's say you know we have uh, a a built as a news newspaper outlet, right? We have Stepstone, we have Imovet. I would say they are like the teams that you have at Idealo, right? So different teams, different teams have different requirements, and uh, of course you're gonna start with one team that has a certain requirement, but then you also need to think ahead. Hey, cool, you build this for this one team. But would it be also very beneficial for the other team to use it, right? And we always, you know, build things in, in, that, in that scale, in that level. Otherwise, you will always end up uh, having a special tool that only one team uses, and that's it. Yeah. So how are you making or how are you producing this abstract, flexible style software? Well, uh, I think you have to be uh, very visionary <laughs> about this and, and uh, have kind of a long-term vision about uh, this kind of tools, right, that you're going to build. So let's say, for example, when, when we build Image ATM, which is an um, image classifier, like kind of workflow that you can use to train these models, right? Um, I mean, one thing, like one machine, probably a machine owner would ask me, why are you building this? Uh, like, uh, so easy, image classification is a solved problem, right? You just take a Keras model, you know, you take a pre-trained model, uh, you put it in, right? And then uh, let's say, I don't know, you want to train to classify cats and dogs or whatever classes you have, right? It's, it's very easy, right? But um, the biggest problem is it's a pipeline. If you have to, for example, to do it like for uh, 2,000 classes or 5,000 classes or let's say here you know in in the Axel Springer group we have so many of these problems you cannot like you know do it again from scratch again and again right you need you need a certain uh, tool set that basically does it for you and in outside of like the Axel Springer group uh, or in, I would say in the machine learning universe you have so many of these tools now that are going in this direction like it's become like basic commodity at the end of the day right for example if you look at fast AI, right, this is doing this easier, or you have uh, the the guys from Hugging Face, they are doing the PyTorch uh, transformer, like a very easy, simple way to, to use language models. You have Spacey, it's also another tool, literally very easy to, 
to use it for NLP problem. Keras is another uh, example, but Keras is also part of uh, TensorFlow now, so it becomes tf.keras. So everything is, is either making things, making either for people to train their models or like also very specialized problems within that, right? Okay, cool. And then, uh, you know, what, what in, throughout your experience, have you found the most challenging? Have you been, like, what was your most difficult technical challenge to overcome or was the bigger challenge you know trying to set up these teams to be to scale and successfully mm. Ooh, but I, I would say so what's my biggest technical challenge I think every technical challenge can be solved <laughs> in some way right so there's no like uh, one technical challenge that that we cannot uh, solve of course one technical challenge that we had the most was um, when we had to um, scale in a way when we need to predict 300 million images in a very fast time so we had to find solutions how to do that um, and it took us quite a while so we had like we use Kubernetes which is uh, uh, kind of plus tool pass so platform as a service tool basically to to um, abstract away a lot of like um, how your application looks like and how and also it handles the scaling and uh, everything else um, but there the problem was like um, we didn't have GPUs there so we of course we had like um, little models like MobileNet who have uh, less parameters and then uh, we had 100 containers to predict uh, those 100 million images um, that went quite fast so it was like two weeks but the problem is uh, you cannot you know have 100 containers running all the time and, and doing this right? We looked into different solutions, for example, how you can, how can you combine, for example, Spark, right, to to uh, use it on GPUs or also just CPUs in general. Um, but then we faced different problems, like the the um, communication between um, like the data and uh, also like a Keras model, right, because we had to use uh, PySpark for that. There was not like a Java deep learning. Uh, kind of uh, framework that was readily made, right? So there's always like different problems that we face there. And uh, at the end of the day, um, it was a good learning, right? Because we, we learned different way how, how uh, Python interacts actually with the JVM on the Spark, how the serialization works, how the communication works. Um, and we optimized it quite well so that it become faster. Um, and in terms of your second question, whether like, how you scale in teams. I would say it's always very difficult to find a good combination of people at the beginning um, because um, you cannot just hire uh, PhD people uh, who just majored in computer vision, who just did deep learning and, and, and they only want to do this. Right? If, if you are in a, in a setting like us, you need a really like a, like a diverse skill set of people uh, for example, hey, yeah, someone is interested into distributed computing, someone else uh, understands NLP quite well, someone else understands communication quite well, and then you can pair these people together. At the end of the day, the concept is, is, is always the same, right? So you're always doing the same thing, but you need this different skill set to, to, to mix them together so that they can grow. Okay, cool. Well, look, uh, that, that's all we have time for. Uh, you're listening to the AI in Action podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Kelly. Today we had that Tran from Axel Springer. Uh, that, thanks for being on the show. Thank you too. 
AI in Action is brought to you by Aulis International, covering your business's staffing, consulting, and networking needs. Aulis offer an exec search program. Aulis can help you discover how data science and AI can transform your company. With our unrivaled network of C-suite executives and senior AI professionals, we offer retained search services across the US and Europe. Get the Aldus advantage. Become a member of the Aldus community and enjoy some of the following. AI meetups. Once a month, our community gathers to listen to some of the leading experts in the world of data science and AI. Our speakers come from all over the world, including Dublin, Boston, and Frankfurt. We also have our AI mentors. Our experts will provide mentoring to Aldus members. And don't forget our AI on Action podcast. Each week we have guests from all over the world talking us through their education, career and more. Become an Aldous member and get the Aldous advantage. For more information and to sign up for our newsletter, log on to www.aldous.com. That's www.aldous.com. Aldous International, empowering through AI.